as I said in our in the prayer, uh, we're bringing on Brian Schmidt today. Um, it's been a long process, long in the sense of at Alfred Alman Bible Church, we take a long time in doing things, um, which is right. We've got to make sure that those who desire the office are actually qualified and, and all that. So we're going to actually be speaking on uh, uh, deacon. So if you want to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 13. Uh, someone asked me as I walked in, uh, are you going to be starting Revelation today? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, actually, what we're going to do is I got one or two, three, about three messages um, before I get into Revelation. And the reason is this. One of them has to do with uh, Peter and the Lord and how service works. Uh, it's going to be John 21 next week. Uh, the week after that, actually, my dad goes into knee surgery, and my mom can't drive any longer, so I'm going to go home and pretty much spend the week with her, and then Ken's going to be uh, preaching that week. By the way, Ken, that week is the week you preach. I haven't told him yet. <laughs> then we're going to come back for a couple weeks and look at Ephesians 4, and there's a reason for it, because Ephesians 4 tells us what a church ought to be. Because as soon as you get into Revelation, you see Christ evaluating the seven churches of the Revelation. And I thought, before we get to the evaluation, let's look at what a church ought to be. So two or three weeks in Ephesians 4, and then Lord willing, well, if there's Christmas, we'll have to deal with Christmas. But, you know, then Revelation chapter 1. <laughs> i tell you what, you laugh, but you know, you have this thing, and then that thing, and then you have Christmas, and, you know, you have all these different, uh, and uh, I, I'm not going to talk about the, uh, the beast of Revelation on December 25th. Okay, so we got to, uh, <clears throat> so anyways. Let me read the passage uh, for you that we're going to be looking at today. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. And again, this follows uh, after, in the heels of uh, uh, verses 1 to 7, which is specifically talking about elders, okay? Chapter 3, verse 1, position of a bishop. Now we move to deacons, verse 8. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives. By the way, let me say one thing. Uh, the word wives there could either be translated wives or women. Uh, many believe that verse 11 is really not referring to the deacons' wives, but actually deaconesses. Women deacons. And I actually believe that as well. Must be reverent, not slanders, temperate, faithful in all things. Verse 12, let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own house well. For those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. This, by the way, is only the uh, second place that deacons and elders are seen in the official position in, a, in an office. Uh, Philippians 1.1 1, 1 is the other. The word is often used, and we'll see that in a moment, but as far as the actual office of deacon, there's, there's only two places, 1 Timothy 3, Philippians 1. Now again, when we come to the subject of deacons, there's a lot of misunderstanding. A lot of misunderstanding in other churches, a lot of misunderstanding actually in this church at times. I'm thinking over the last 20-some years that we've... I kind of put deacon in the same category as spiritual gift. Whenever you talk about spiritual gifts, there's a lot of misunderstanding. And by the way, with misunderstanding comes conflict. 
You know, you say one thing about spiritual gift, oh, they're frustrated, they're gone. <laughs> Didn't agree with certain things. Sometimes deacons the same way. What, you know, there's a lot of questions around it, and I'm not going to get to all of them in the, you know, the 30 minutes we have. But, you know, how is the word deacon used in the New Testament? We will look at that for a moment. Is there an office of deacon? Some would say yes, some would say no, because it doesn't appear often. Uh, what do they do? Are the deacons less spiritual than the elders? That's a good question. Uh, what are the differences of elders and then deacons? I mean, you know, how does that work out? Uh, are the men of Acts 6 the first New Testament deacons? I often hear that. I don't think so. Because just because of how, how, the, how the seven in Acts 6 played out. Again, are the women of verse 11 the deacons' wives, deacon helpers, or deaconesses? I would say they're either deacons' uh, help, uh, helpers or, or deaconesses themselves. Uh, well, who are the deacons of our church? That's a good question. Candy bar for anybody that can say all four. No. Um, but who are the deacons of our church? Well, it's Will Schmidt, Ron Godown, Dale Vance, and Steve Crando. I should have him stand, but I won't. And we're bringing on Brian Schmidt. So those are the ones. Is it, let me give you another question pertaining to deacons in general. Is it a high and holy calling? Yes. By the way, I ask that because you watch some churches and you hear about some churches and, you know, uh, how do they uh, name their deacons? Uh, at the annual meeting, they nominate. Uh, how many are for Zechariah? Because we don't have any Zacharias here. How many are for Zechariah? And if they get enough votes now, they're the deacon of that church for another year. That, that doesn't sound to me like a very high and holy calling. Do you? Does it to you? Just because he's nominated and has enough votes, that could be all politics. Uh, but it is a high and holy calling. That's why I said earlier, it, it, we've taken a lot of time, you know, with every one of our deacons. If the deacon doesn't do what, if the deacon doesn't deke, no, if the deacon doesn't do what they're supposed to do, it will hurt the church. Because they are a model of what a Christian ought to be. So, last question, is it the same as elders, but for the physical. In other words, I hear sometimes, uh, you know, the elders are supposed to take care of the spiritual and the deacons the physical. And I'm going to say categorically to you, no. That is not the way you define a deacon. In fact, I would say this, leadership itself is dangerous. (laughs) By the way, I'm preaching this message for a number of reasons. One, I want you to know what Brian ought to be and the deacons. Uh, Two, there's young men, there's older men, there's really older men here. And we should live up to this as well. It's not just saying deacon, this is what a man should be. But again, I also preach for a a third reason. Maybe maybe for some of you, God is literally... And you should consider and ask God if perhaps you ought to be a deacon. In fact, you might even have been a deacon and God's re-knocking on your heart. That's great too. Um, so again, it's a high and holy calling. It's dangerous because when you get in leadership, um, it's just easier to have conflict. It's easier for, I mean, Satan's got a bullseye on your head, right? Let's face it, you, you know, if, if, if one of these days one of us, you know, has to stand up in the pulpit or they say it about me or one of, you know, the elders or one of the deacons that, you know what, so-and-so and this is their sin and they no longer can you, you know, be a deacon, be an elder, do you think that's going to affect our church? Absolutely. So you got to, you know, I'm bringing out who are the elders, who are the deacons. You pray, know the high standard, and know that uh, leadership is dangerous. 
dangerous because um, it's a high calling, and if you don't hold to it, and if you don't depend on God, uh, Satan will trip you up. <clears throat> one, um, one guy said this about uh, deacons. He said, um, among Bible-believing churches, two extremes continually threaten the New Testament diaconate. The first is to make deacons the power brokers and rulers of the church. In many churches, deacons form the chief executive board. And you probably know of some churches. This practice, this practice blatantly ignores all New Testament facts about deacons and completely distorts the New Testament diaconate. Now, do you see how that's really severe? I'm not talking the statement. I'm saying if you take the position in the office and say this is what you're supposed to do and it's not scriptural, that's damaging to the church. The other extreme demeans deacons to nearly janitorial status. <laughs> but the New Testament diaconate was never intended to be a building maintenance committee. If the congregation owns a building, form a building maintenance committee. The people on that committee do not need to meet God's qualifications of deaconship nor do they need to be publicly examined and approved so that they might be able to clean a toilet. I added that last part. If you need a deacon on the committee to facilitate good church management and communication, that is acceptable, but do not allow the diaconate to lose its primary focus, which inevitably happens when it assumes sole responsibility for the church building. We must not forget that the real treasures of the church are its fill-in-the-blank. People, people, not its pews, not its buildings, yet so often the needy are left unattended and the church building receives priority, attention both in time and in funds. I think that's distressing to God. By the way, I think if you look here, sometimes I've fallen into this and we've led in this direction. And, and, and by the way, I'm reading this not as a condemnation, just to say, you know what, maybe we have to rethink, what is a deacon? I mean, think about it. It's a high unholy calling. There's actually found in Scripture, this is what you have to be. Is it just to take care of the building? So again, we want to think about this. In fact, I'll probably mention a little bit more about it when we get into Ephesians chapter 4. But I would say this. When it's all said and done, and let me just give you the punchline at the end. When it's all said and done, I believe that the deacons, though they may have part in dealing with the physical aspect of the building, I'm not saying that's wrong, need to be connected to the real treasure of the church, and that's its people. That really, it, it ends up being this, that it's not just the elders, but it's also the deacons. Maybe the, the elders have the, the, the spiritual aspect. You could play it out this way. Uh, let's say I'm counseling a couple uh, spiritually, but we find that there's also financial issues. Because of the financial issues, they are really over their head. They need help. A deacon might be brought in to help with the treasure of the church, help them financially, and we do. But do you see how that's a spiritual issue as well? And that's, by the way, a very delicate issue. I do think, though, it's uh, Acts 6 where it talks about the apostles and they say we need to spend time in the Word and prayer and they chose the seven. Do you remember that? I'm not going to turn there. Only to say this. They're not, new, they're not the forerunners of New Testament deacons, but I do believe that is a good example of how, what God cares about. God cares about people. 
God cares about that people would be taken care of. And I think as we bring deacons on, it's not just about raking leaves and it's not just about <laughs> taking care of the building. I, I know you're probably saying, well, you keep saying this, because it's, it's really hit me. You know what? What are they really supposed to do? They need to deal with people. We don't want to think, well, elders deal with people and they deal with all things that are not, uh, that are inanimate. No, no. Uh, I think God has done a high standard because these are very, very important positions. The office of deacon. So let's look at it. Likewise, deacons. Now, as soon as you see deacons in verse 8, you have to say, well, there's the other side, the elders. Let me just give you one verse or one set of verses because you have the, uh, the deacons are the model servants. Just let's, because that's what the word diakonos means, servant. <clears throat> you also have this other office. There's two offices, deacons and Elders, right? Overseers. If you go to Acts 20, verse 17, um, you don't have to turn there, but Acts 7, 20, uh, 17 says that from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders. Now I'm just going to just, just give you a, a glimpse of what the elders, because you need to see the elders, then you can see what the deacon is supposed to do. Um, this is Paul calling for the elders. That word is pres- presbytos. Uh, you know, we get presbytery of the church. Go down to verse 28. Therefore, take heed to yourself, talking to the elders, and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So here you see uh, the overseers, three different words. You see elder, overseer, shepherd. All three words refer to the same person. In fact, you say, well, what's the difference? Why does he use elder sometimes, sometimes overseer, sometimes pastor? Elder really is more of a Jewish flavor. You see it all the way back in the Old Testament. It really refers to his character, his spiritual maturity. When you see the, the word elder, he's saying they were spiritually mature men. When you see the word overseer or bishop, it's more of not who he is, but what he does. What does he do? He oversees. The elders, what do they do? They oversee. What do you mean? Rule. That's the word. Okay? They oversee. And shepherd. They oversee the the whole and they shepherd the individual, if you will. So, who he is, what does he do? And again, that's one of the offices of the church. It's the duty of the overseer to be in charge of overseeing God's house, as it were. Right? Little flocks, little local churches. By the way, the one that's, that, um, you know, we have uh, six elders, six overseers at this, at this church. I, I've, I say this often, but I want you to get this. Uh, I am equal, no greater power. Doesn't mean that if, you know, John wants it, John gets it. Just equal. Um, and we are called to oversee this flock. I can't go down to Hillside Baptist Church. And walk into their church and say, you know what, this is what you must do. Well, unless I can say it this way. You know, guys, you're off track. This is what you must do. Right? But I don't have, um, I don't have the responsibility for Hillside Baptist Church. Craig and the leaders down there do. Right? So again, it's important, you know, the local church. Um, so let's move quickly, though, on to deacons. What does the word mean? Likewise, deacon. Well, again, as I've said, diakonos. It literally means servant. That's the noun form, servant. You mean there's an office of servant. Now think about that. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Paul says there's an office of leader, ruler, and there's an office of servant. You mean God considers it that important to serve? Yep. 
It is so important, in fact, that he actually made, uh, of the two offices, one of them is, is servant. To serve. You know, I, I was referencing in the prayer, Romans 12, living sacrifices. Living sacrifices. And you know what he does? As soon as he gets done with the fact that we, he has been so merciful to us that he calls us to be living sacrifices, he talks about giftedness. Giftedness. Why? Because if, 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 if I love Jesus Christ, I'm going to serve him. And even in the church, as, a, as, a, uh, as an official church, there's two offices, ruler and servant. And that's how important it is. It's critical. In fact, the verb form means to serve, diakoneo. And, and this is what was written about that word, diakonos. Originally, the use of this group of words seems to have been specific, meaning the menial tasks such as waiting on tables or serving people. But over time, it, it was used also of like uh, government positions, policemen, things like that, and also of the church. So it kind of evolved, but the idea of the evolving is it always had to do with serving, even in a menial task. Like, remember our Lord that night? Wrapped himself, and what did he do for the disciples? Wash their feet. That was for the lowest servant. And he was, he was leaving us the example that we should serve. And it's so important, he says, and I'm even going to put it in the church as an official uh, office, that, that we even have a f- people who are literally called and, and are called deacons because they are called to serve. So again, it has to do with serving, serving with your spiritual gifts. Again, it's not easy. I was reading this book as I was a uh, New Testament deacon by Alexander Strach, and he, and he, and he wrote this about uh, you know, the two boards working together. The relationship between the deacon and elders, is it always easy? He writes this, As most churches know, conflict between shepherds and deacons is not uncommon. I was like, this guy is in reality right here. And can arise from both sides. Indeed, any organization with, with two or more groups holding official responsibilities will face tensions. The better we understand the differences between shepherd and deacons, the more able we are able, uh, will be able to avoid conflict. When, when we don't understand these differences, power struggles and misunderstandings raise their ugly head. And actually, to my fault at times over the years, sometimes that's been me. Understanding the, the, the position, right? Now again, you say, well, are they really that important? Yes. And, and, and are they really two offices? Yes. Look at the first word in verse 8, likewise. Because he's, he's, he's carrying over from verses 1 to 7. He's just talked about the elders, the bishop, bishops, and then he says, likewise, just like this, the elders is an, uh, uh, an office, so are the deacons. That, that, it's that important. He's raised uh, the level. Uh, in fact, as Chuck Swindoll says, both positions are highly significant and respectable. Yes, both are uh, offices of the church. Well, let's, let's break it down. You know, the profile of a true servant, a profile. And now we just get into the specifics, uh, each one. Now, again, these, these qualities are essential, not optional. They're not optional. It's not like, well, you know, I hope that this is what the... I hope that this is what Brian Schmidt is. Now, now notice what it says. 
Likewise, deacons must be. See, those are essential. The qualities must be met. Now, let's stop real quick here. Perfectly? Now, if I say perfectly, then, then every one of us that are in the office should just get out, right? We're not talking perfect here. But we are talking consistent. Do you get the difference? Not perfect, consistent, and, let me give you one other, and progressing. Because we all can progress, right? I mean, that's sanctification. So not perfect, but consistent and progressing. None of us have arrived. Have any of you arrived in humility? (laughs) Have any of you arrived in gentleness? Have any of you arrived in reverence? Have any of you arrived in uh, godliness? No, again... No, it's not perfect, but it's consistent and progressing. In other words, you're on uh, the pursuit of God. <laughs> Someone should uh, write a book. So again, that's how uh, these need to be, uh, and, and they need to be held, uh, upheld. I like that there was a letter to a young elder na- named Neopatian. And it was dated back in the 4th century. So now we're talking 1,600 years ago, 394 A.D. And this letter, uh, Jerome rebuked the churches of his day for their hypocrisy and showing more concern for the appearance of their church buildings than the careful selection of their church leaders. (laughs) And I thought, nothing's new under the sun. (laughs) So many churches, they, they put more emphasis on on the building, then, who, are, who is seeking to, you know, be called to lead? Many, he said this, quote, many build churches nowadays with their walls and pillars of glowing marble, their ceiling glittering with gold, their altars studded with jewels, yet to the choice of Christ's ministers, no heed is paid, end quote. No, we want to make sure that we um, uh, hold to the high standard. Or as uh, Paul talking to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and now he's re- he was referring to elders, but it also applies to deacons. It says, do not lay hands on anyone hastily. And you're going to see that in just a few minutes. We're going to bring Brian up, and the elders are going to stand, and you're going to join with us, and we're going to lay hands on him. You know why we lay hands on him? Some would say this, oh, that's kind of mysterious. That's kind of spooky. No, no. What we're doing is identifying with him and confirming his calling in this area that he's being set apart to be a deacon. That's really what the hand. So again, identifying and saying, yes, we see what you have proclaimed that God is calling you to do. And so we are together saying that you have purity and integrity and you are part of this calling. Well, let's look at the first one. What does he have to be? What is this? What are the must? He must be a man of dignity. It says reverent. King James says grave or men worthy of respect, dignity, all those different ideas. It's interesting. Philippians 4 verse 8 says noble. Philippians 4 8 it says the things that we should, uh, these things we should think about. And the way that that word is translated in Philippians 4 8 is noble. He should be a noble man. Dignified. In other words, worthy of respect and honor. In fact, the root word of this word reverent literally means to revere. Okay? Revere. It's used in other cases, but I mean, it's not not like this. 
oh, there's Deacon Ron walking by. No, I'm not talking that, but we are saying this. Worthy of respect. You know, when you think of that guy, when you watch him, you say, you know what? He represents God, right? He, he's a good representation. Not perfect. <laughs> not perfect. Consistent and progressing. So the first is that he has to be a man of dignity. In other words, serious in mind as well as character. Respected and recognized for their character. He's respected, he's recognized. One author said this, men of serious purpose and respectful conduct. Or you might say, what's the opposite? Not sarcastic, not hurtful, caustic, you know, just silly, flimsy. Uh, in other words, a deacon must not be silly and flippant. Do you know some people who can never get serious? Do you know anybody like that? No matter what the context. And by the way, is there a time for, uh, you know, just laughing it up type of thing? Yeah. I mean, there are certain times when, uh, I mean, I, I always love watching my mother-in-law. You know, Carol Corbett, you know, she will laugh and she will be, and it'll be such a deep, and she'll laugh over the craziest thing. She will trip and then just laugh. Yeah, in fact, I think that's why she has lived so long so well, because she's laughed so much. So there's a time to laugh, no question. There is definitely a time to, you know, lighthearted and everything can't, doesn't have to be serious. In fact, it shouldn't. You've got to have a time out. But then there's a time to get serious. And some people can't seem to get serious when, it needs to, you know, when it's a serious matter. So he knows how to act. So as a person looks at him from the congregation, they would see him as a man who follows God and is serious about the things that God is serious about. That's, that's the point. Number two, he must be a man of truthfulness. It says not double-tongued. The word is dialogos. Well, you know the word logos means word. Di means twice. Twice word. What do you mean twice word? You can't be a twice worder. I don't think that's a word. But... It means not saying one thing to one person and something else to another. Now think about this. This is an official position of the church, official office. You can't be double-tongued. What would cause a person to be double-tongued? Or literally the idea is to be speak deceitfully. Well, a lot of different things. Fear of man. You know, tell one person this because that's what they want to hear, but to not get into the argument, they tell somebody something else that's totally different just so that they don't want to upset them. Fear, peer pressure, maybe wanting to be liked, just keep the peace, or maybe manipulating the truth to get his way. And Paul writes to Timothy and says, no, no, no double tongue. In other words, his speech must not be divisive and must not be hypocritical or gossipy, but honest, consistent, and reliable. Huge. Why? Because it's an office. There's going to be things that the deacon knows that the elders know. And boy, I tell you what, you can spread a lot of divisive blood, if you will, in a church by just the words, right? The words we use. I always think about how easy it is to be divisive. That's why it says that uh, slander or gossip uh, separates the best of friends. I think the words we use have to be more carefully chosen, right? I mean, all I have to say is something very simple. 
you know, walk up to Dale and say, name the person, and, you know, Dale, what did you think about that person? Did, 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 did you think it was right that they said that? You know, and you can, you can spread so much dissension, by the way, and never having to actually say you're spreading dissension. So again, all that wraps around this not double-tongued. What he says, he says, and it's clear, and his yes is yes, and his no is no. And so you can bank on it, as it were. Why? Because he's part of the team. He's part of the team. He's protecting. He's working together. How about the third? He must be a man who is not a drinker, not given to... What's the next word, by the way? Much wine. Uh, this is not a, prohibi- uh, a prohibition against uh, you know, alcohol. You can't say, oh, all right, there. That says that he's not supposed to ever have a drink. By the way, let's be careful with that. The wine of the New Testament is totally different than the vodka of today as far as its intensity. But again, if a person sat down and had a glass of wine you know, with a steak, that's a different issue. Right? That, not much wine. Not much. Uh, I personally don't drink in public. Once in a while I'll have a glass of wine at home. I won't come here again. Well, I'm just saying, I don't, you know. By the way, why would he even bring up alcohol? Well, you don't want to have a, a deacon, you know. Yeah, give me the sixth one. Yeah, yeah, give me another one. No, and by the way, what does uh, alcohol do? It impairs judgment, self-control, impairs thinking. It also causes sensuality. They'll do things, right? No, no, you don't want to have, you know, not giving to much wine. You know what? That actually frustrates me. I would rather him say no alcohol, period. That's easy. And for the elders. But it really doesn't. I don't think you can prove that. And you know why he doesn't in Scripture? Because in the New Testament, God has given us his spirit. And his spirit is controlled, right? In fact, even in Ephesians 5, 18, it says, don't be, you know, uh, given to wine, which is in excess, but what? Be filled with the... And so what is the word filled? It means to be controlled. Be controlled by the Spirit. Don't be controlled by any other thing. Not just wine, any other thing. And then fourth, he is free from the love of money. Not greedy for money. Not covetous. By the way, it is true that the deacons, because it is um, helping, uh, one of the primary, I believe, was helping the, the needy, the orphans, the widows. They held the money box. By the way, they didn't control the money box. They held the money box. But they, but they held the money box. You don't want to have somebody that's you know, greedy and covetous holding the money box. By the way, that was Judas. It says of Judas in, in the Gospel of John, he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. You know, they're not going to miss these ten denarii. So again, you want to have them honest as far as financially. And then, number fifth, he must be a man of conviction, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Conscience, Holding, holding, that means grabbing a hold of. What do you mean the faith? In other words, holding the mystery of the faith means that he has understanding and catch this, conviction, because when you hold something, you have conviction on it. He knows the Word of God. He's convicted by the Word of God, which obviously means he does the Word of God. You can't have a disconnect between, yeah, he can answer all the... All the questions that Bob Baker gives in um, 
In his uh, ABF class on pride and humility, he can answer every one of them, but he doesn't live it. No, no. By the way, let me say that about ABF. We have two wonderful ABFs, and yet it breaks my heart sometimes because I look around and I think, how many more people could be benefiting from the downstairs pride and humility and the upstairs answers in Genesis, and yet they're not even here. And yet we have men who are prepared all week to give the message, and you could grow, and isn't it sad that many people are not here? Like today's pride and humility, it was excellent. You've got to be there. <laughs> You want to get the blessing, you got to be there. A deacon holding the mystery of the faith, he understands it. By the way, when he says mystery over in Ephesians 3, 4, it says the mystery of Christ. Now this is the mystery of the faith, but it also is the mystery of Christ and that all kind of works together. What is the mystery of Christ? The fact that Jesus' death on the cross provided completely and satisfactorily for our sins, Right? That Christ went to the cross, not for his sins, but for ours. And then on the cross, he paid the complete penalty for our sins. That's the mystery of Christ. And that those who would receive him and his sacrifice would be completely forgiven, placed into God's family, spirit of God given to them. That's the mystery of the Old Testament that's been revealed in the New. That, that God himself would send his son that would, that would pay the complete, uh, make the complete sacrifice for us on the cross. And so a deacon could even defend that, defend the gospel, proclaim the gospel, that there's victory in Christ. And he has a pure conscience. Look at that. Pure conscience, which means there's consistency. See, you can know the truth, you can at times do the truth, but unless you do it consistently, you won't have a pure conscience. And those who fall consistently constantly have a dirty conscience. By the way, if you have a dirty conscience, there's a lot of ways you can have a dirty conscience. You know, all the, isn't there a lot of sludge that comes at us, a lot of filth from the world? And I'll tell you what, if you turn the tube, you click the internet, if you do all those things and you don't, you know, even the games anymore, and you don't have uh, wisdom and discernment, you know what you're going to do? It's like your eyes will get dulled. Dulled by the fact of swearing and ungodliness and sensuality and selfishness and all the other. Some people say this, well, you know what? Uh, I watched the whole movie. There was no swearing. There was no nudity. There was nothing like that. But you've got to remember this. By the way, I'm not against, I'm not trying to tell you to watch no movie. But the question is this. How was God represented? Sometimes they'll say this. Well, he wasn't even mentioned. Is that a good worldview? Life, no God? That's exactly what they're trying to represent in, in, in media, right? In other words, it may not be negative. It just may be that God is absent. But again, be careful because that can start really, uh, really dulling your discernment, dulling your discernment. But here he has a pure conscience. He is living the word of God, which is exactly what it should be. One guy said this, The great truths of the faith are not to be held as theological abstractions, but to be properly employed in daily life. To hold to the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience is to live in the light of Christian truth that enlightens the conscience, that, that will enlighten the conscience, will have no cause to condemn. In other words, they, they have a pure conscience because everything that has been enlightened in their conscience by the word of God is being upheld. Not perfect, <laughs> not perfect, but growing, okay? Consistent and growing and progressing. How about the, this, what is the sixth one? We must be, uh, he must be unaccusable. Verse 10, let these also be first tested, then let them serve as deacons. 
He's got to be unaccusable. He's got to be tested. Um, how have we tested the deacons? Especially Brian, I think of him, because uh, he is just, what, one day younger or older than my daughter Ashley? What is it? Is your birthday the fourth? Second. So he's older by a day. My, I always remember because my daughter's birthday is July 3rd. His is the second. This is the point. I've watched him. We've watched him. We've watched him grow up. Little Brian in Awana, grown up, okay? But tested, you know? Scrutinized, that word means to be examined and scrutinized. To see if he makes the mark of what the scripture says. Not what we think, what the scripture says. In other words, a man is qualified because of who he is, not because of what he does. Who he is, character. And he must be found blameless. The word is, cannot be called into account. In other words, we don't want someone coming to us and saying, oh, by the way, do you know what your deacon is? Or do you know what your elder really is when he's at school, when he's at work, when he's in the office? Do you know what he really is like? can't be held to account. Not perfect, consistent, and progressing. And then finally, and I'm going to skip right over because I mentioned it before, verse 11. I think that is either deaconesses or deacon helpers. But then he goes on, he says, let the deacons be the husband of only one wife. In other words, same exact quality is found in the elders. In other words, a one-woman man. He is a model of sexual purity. Boy, we live in a very, very ungodly world, don't we? I mean, sensuality and sex is everywhere. So for a man, you have to go the straight and narrow. <laughs> Let me repeat this. Not perfect, <laughs> consistent, and progressing. But again, he has to be a one-woman man. His eyes need to be for his wife only. A man of unquestioned morality, one who is entirely true, faithful, and singularly devoted to his one and only wife, end quote. So he has to be consistent. Because if you look, Christ says what? Commit adultery what? In your heart. That's where he's committed it, in the heart. Lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he can't, look means to stare. We've got to be careful Oh, my men, be very, very careful. I have seen myself be very, very vulnerable in this area. And yet the standard is very high, and we need to be a one-woman man. And I would say this, based on the fact that Jesus' counsel to that guy would be that you cut off, gouge out your eye and cut off your arm, I would say this, that we should be, when it comes to sensuality, we should be radical, we could be sacrificial, and, we should, and it should be permanent. In other words, we want to see victory. And some of you, that means you're going to need to confess that to a close personal friend that's going to hold you deeply uh, accountable. And, and don't let pornography and all that other stuff draw you down. It will destroy you. It will destroy your soul. And then finally, he's a man who maintains a godly family. Verse 12, ruling their children and their own house well. Same thing is said of the elders in 1 Timothy 3, 4 and 5. So really, do you see how the elders, the requirements for an elder is very similar to the requirements of a deacon? Why? Because the deacon is a high and holy office. It's no light matter. 
We don't bring deacons on just to take care of a building. That might be part of it. But it's helping to take care of the people, the treasure of God, right? The people. So ruling their children. The word ruling means to preside over, having authority over. By the way, it doesn't mean that a deacon has to have children. It means if they have children, they better be under control. Does that mean that children never go out of control? Does it mean that you... No. But when... I always think of David Jeremiah. David Jeremiah apparently had a daughter that kind of went south for a long time, literally. And, uh, you know, drug scene, that whole thing. He, I think, went... To, if, the, the story, if I remember correctly, he went to the ruling... The, the board of uh, elders at his church. I believe it was the board of elders. And um, if it's biblical, it's the board of elders. Um, and I think he was going to step down. And you know what they told him? No, you do what you need to do with an erring child. And he did. He did the steps that they laid out. What do you do with an erring child? Finally, she came back. But the point was, he acted biblical even in the midst of when she was walking away. I see parents who are really solid theologically, but when their kids go like this, they make all kinds of excuses. No, no. Act biblical even when they're away towards them. So that's what he's supposed to do. So again, a servant leader who blossoms his wife and blossoms his children because it says his own household well. In other words, nobly, excellently, he deals with his own home well. If they do that, look at what happens. Verse 13, for those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and a great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. I don't believe he's ending by talking about the Bema seat, the judgment seat, when they stand before Christ. I believe what they're saying here is, if, if they act this way, they will be highly respected, highly honored, honored by men, and even, if you will, exalted by God, because does God exalt the humble? And so a deacon who serves well will get those things, okay? Obtain for themselves a good standing, what? A good standing amongst the congregation and great boldness. The boldness there is confidence. The idea is this, as you walk with Jesus, as you walk with God, you even get greater confidence and boldness to do the things that God calls you to do. What is the same proverb? The righteous are as bold as a lion. You want to have boldness in your life? I'll tell you how you have boldness. Walk with Jesus. Because if you don't walk with Jesus, you know what you're always doing? You're walking down the street. I wonder if they saw this. I wonder if they know that about me. I wonder. You can't have boldness. You can't have confidence. But if you walk with Jesus, then you can have boldness and confidence. And and God even, I believe, caused you to even greater things. By the way, not deacon to elder. That's not the point. The point is that you will see God work greatly and greater even in your life because you have walked consistent. Some people don't. You know, if you, if you don't want to walk with Jesus, you are going to be very, you're going to not have confidence. In fact, do you ever do this? You're talking to somebody and you're thinking in the back of your mind, well, I'm giving them good counsel. I wish I could keep it myself. <laughs> you ever done? I've done that. It is so refreshing to walk with Jesus that you can lay out Scripture, not in a proud way, but in a humble way and say, you know what? You can do this. And even if you don't say it, you're thinking to yourself, listen, I'm going to be on your side because I know that God has worked in my life in this area. And you can proclaim truth boldly because you've seen Christ work in you. And you're just passing on. As one said, one beggar to another beggar. That's how it is, right? We're fellow strugglers. If you have... You know, whatever you have because of God, let's face it, it's because of God. 
But don't you want to be excited about that? Yeah, let me pass the baton to you. And you know what? Because you're standing on my shoulders, you're going to even go farther. And I'm just so thankful that God even let me have a, a little piece of service to you, right? Because that's why they're called deacons, because they're, they're called to serve. So again, we're thankful for our deacons that we have. And Brian, come on up with the elders, because now we're going to bring on one more, which is a real praise. You can sit here. <laughs> Again, we have, uh, we have a whole process for deacons. Uh, it's everything from making sure they are being called and not feeling guilty. And actually, let me just say this. Brian actually came to me before it was on any of our radars and said, you know, I think God has called me to do this. And then there's just a whole process making sure, he, you know, he... he uh, uh, consistently, First uh, Timothy 3, uh, checking with Kate, his wife. Do you see this in Brian? This is what we see, you know, as far as the good and all that. So just, just so you know, there's a, an extensive process that's been going on for, what, about two years? No, probably <laughs> six months, eight months, whatever. So is there anything that you'd like to say? Okay. Okay, so why don't we gather around and... Billy, if you'd close this. Father, I just thank you for how you work in our lives, not only bringing us to salvation, but also placing us in your family and then giving us a great, the great privilege of serving. And we thank you for Brian for calling him to this. And we, again, pray for protection on him and Kate. We just ask that you would protect him spiritually, physically, emotionally, just that he'd be able to fill, fulfill the calling on his life.